Welcome to Intergalactic Tarbush, eclectic conversations from the MENA with Iyad al-Baghdadi and me, Ahmed Gatnash. We talk about politics, activism, tech, spirituality, mental health, and more. So what are you up to today? So I also spoke to Usman and most of the conversation, uh, a lot of the conversation, of course, some of it was work, uh, but a lot of it actually was about, uh, so, you know, like their team is mostly focused on the Muslim minority uh, in uh, in Norway. Mm. Uh, but also like, you know, with that comes kind of a focus on Muslim minorities in Europe generally, which is an important topic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you and him kind of share a background of being of immigrant background, but you grew up in, in Europe. You're basically Europeans. Mm. Um, and he was, a lot of the conversation went into how He's like, you know, did you notice that no Muslim leader in Norway has reached out to you as a Muslim who is who's involved in all of these uh, these issues and these struggles and these, uh, you know, big news. Um, and nobody has actually thought of this as a Mus- as a Muslim issue or an Islamic issue. Mm. Uh, it's almost as if Muslim issues are uh you know what to eat, and uh, you know, and the ones which are overtly about Islam. Yeah, again, you define overtly about Islam, or maybe de- yeah. define Islam. The whole point here is that there there is this discrepancy between the narrative because you are talking to the to the bigger society, to European society, and like let's say Norwegian society, right? And you're telling them being Norwegian is not about, you know, Brunost and, and Lutefisk. You know, it's not about uh, those material elements of culture that were considered, you know, traditional. Mm. It's not about what you eat and, you know, what you look like. It's basically about a set of values which bring meaning, uh, you know, have a lot of meaning, but also have had a lot of meaning in the development of Norway. Mm-hmm. Um so this is the message that the Muslim minority or Muslim minority, I'm not saying, of course, it's, it's, it's not exactly a homogeneous minority, right? So lots of different opinions within it. But there are prominent people within that, within that that's actually saying that you should not exclude us by defining Norwegian Norwegianness as a matter of uh, uh, culture, and, but rather you should, it should be more about values, mm-hmm. which is a good message. But that becomes that kind of like you're taking the wind out of that when you look when you turn around and you say actually i look at islam as a culture mm-hmm. uh, and it's sword. about these it's about these practices and it's about what you eat and it's about not dating or you know following these these rules and halal and haram halal and haram in the sense of food yani. um it, it's i don't know i mean why is it that these things are considered Islamic issues, but then the struggle for equality and the struggle for for freedom and the struggle struggle for justice is is uh, you know is kind of politics rather than Islamic topics. Yeah, and this uh, also connects to the issue that I was messaging you about last night, uh, which I spent like two or three hours thinking about because um, uh, the frustration just hit me all over again. So I basically got a fundraising email from a Muslim charity. And I get this sense that they, they define their mission as in terms of raising money from Muslims to help Muslims. And if they widen their audience pool to be everyone, like a lot of them have actually, in fairness, 
most of them are very good and they don't solely help Muslims, but they still treat their audience as being exclusively Muslim. Um, like they mm. can't appeal to wider society and give something of value to everyone. Uh, maybe because they see wider society is doing better and they can only really compete in a Muslim only market. Mm. Um, but it really jarred with me the idea that I might not care about needy people unless you mobilize a hadith or an ayah from the Quran. Um, like mm. how morally stunted do you think your audience are? Um, See, it's, it's making it transactional. Mm. You know, it's like it's like your relationship, not only with your with your God, but also with your community is transactional based upon give and take. You know, like uh, you know, I'll give you some money, you give me some 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 points. Yeah, you know? the, there's that aspect of uh, making everything about the rewards. But then another aspect is they don't really see it as even the charity work. They don't see it as Islamic unless they're running around quoting scripture. Um, mm. Like if you just do the thing without quoting scripture, it's not Islamic anymore, um, which I feel like is probably um, something to do with a very weak sense of identity and having to reassert that identity constantly. Or it could be a habit that kind of became entrenched in, in, in us in some way. Maybe that this is this is traditionally how we would do fundraising in a Muslim majority country, for example. But even then, I mean, even I mean, do you really need to tell people that? I mean, isn't it enough to simply tell them that there are people suffering and you should, yeah. you know, you, you should you should do the right thing yeah. out of love and out of without mentioning what of... the prophet without having to mention what the prophet said about orphans, for example. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that, it's not that it's not, I mean, it's, it's not that those ahadith don't exist and it's not that this is not, it is Islamic, absolutely. But I don't know, it's a, it's, it's a matter of, I don't know, maybe you can articulate better um, what it is that jarred so much that, you know, you spent three hours thinking about it. So I, I uh, pitched it to a friend who I thought would, who whose opinion I respect, but who I thought would... Uh come with like a, a different perspective um, and she said um, basically something along the lines of there's nothing wrong with it we're just you know this is very central to our lives and it's natural that we would always be talking about this um, but what I thought was actually the opposite that this is like so religion is we, we all agree that religion is not necessary for morality um, it's of course a very good thing and it helps a lot but it's possible to be moral without religion because to say otherwise would be to basically assume that a big chunk of humanity are essentially monsters and to go down like an original sin perspective, which isn't Islamic. But I see faith as kind of like, these exhortations are like training wheels on a bike um, and they help you develop a moral sense. And when that moral sense is developed, you should be able to make moral decisions um, autonomously and we are like the kid who never got rid of the training wheel on the bike um, mm. and we treat it like you must always have um, Islamic scholars evaluating and rubber stamping your decisions uh, because uh, to not have that would be to behave un-Islamically or to not have Islamic guidance because you can never fully internalize that Islamic guidance. Yeah, because the fact that you need to be, you need that, you need that reminder all the time means that you're forgetting it. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's actually like while you're speaking, I was actually wondering, 
this is like before before I, I I was imprisoned and expelled from the UAE. And I remember like the last the last uh, atikaf that I did in Ramadan. This was 2013. And this thought occurred to me because you know uh, I'm doing atikaf for the last 10 days of Ramadan, and I can see how the numbers of people because you're actually sleeping at the mosque anyway, so you're praying all of the five prayers and the tarawih in the mosque, right? And I'm noticing how, um, and I think I started my atikaf that that year uh, one day early, maybe I can't remember. It's a long time ago, but you can see how the number of people who come from for the for the five salawat and uh, for the tarawih increases, and then on the on the twenty seventh, which is uh, you know supposed to be Laylatul Qadr, uh, you have chaos. You have so many people. And they they don't exactly act in a saintly way. It's almost like it's uh, it's it's Black Monday. Uh, it, it's almost like Black like, Friday. Like, yeah, yeah, on Boxing Sorry, Day. Sorry, Black Black Friday. And you know, there's they're they're just there to gather as much as possible and to get like the right spot in the mosque, even if they have to step on someone who's 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 who's, who's there. And uh, there's a lot of rudeness. There's a lot of like, like, like. I'm, and, and the thing is, because you're already in a very spiritual uh, state, you've been you've been living in the mosque for for several days, so it jars even more. And I then I started re- thinking about this. Like, isn't it? I mean, the whole point about uh, Muslims saying that secularism is bad is because it separates religion from life. This is the this is the the spiritual critique. If not, I mean, not talking about the political critique, but the spiritual critique. But isn't it also a form of dividing religion, separating religion from life when you make, you're like, I can be a terrible person all year and then I can just go to the mosque on the 27th night of Ramadan and, and, uh, and kind of expunge my sins for the rest of the year. Isn't that also limiting religion? Like basically you're separating religion for the rest of the year. But also if you take it further, when you make religion all about rules and about reminders, you know, like th- these kind of like, uh, you know, do this so that you can get that or do this so that you can get 10 points or whatever. Isn't it also a, a way to separate, you know, it, it's like when you make it, all, when you make religion all about these rules, isn't it separating religion from the rest of your life? Uh, or are you going to make your life all about rules? Nobody can do that because that's like you're being not, I think even robots can do that. It's that's a, that's the jarring bit because they say this is like we're against secularism, but isn't that also a form of secularism, a form of like dividing religion from life? Yeah, and then let's not even get into uh, the the incoherence that we've spoken about before with the arbitrary rules and lines of um, this is worth this many points, that is worth that many points. Uh, this one gets you a free path, a uh, free pass for twelve months. Uh, this mm. one's, you know, this one's the Mario Kart bonus. <laughs> so, I mean, in in a sense, I don't like. Uh, I I haven't really taken another look at that from a spiritual point of view, like from a mystical point of view. But that's certainly uh, the way that it's being interpreted by a lot of people. I feel like you could uh, probably make a fun parody video game about like collecting Azure multipliers and stuff. Someone should do that on TikTok. Um, before I forget, I have a call 
in the evening with um, do you do you know uh, Ra'id Jarrar? No. So in 2003, after the Iraq, uh, the Iraq war, after the American invasion of Iraq, uh, there was this kind of uh, blog that was being read. Um, so there's this guy who was blogging during the invasion. And he was called the Baghdad blogger. Um, like, and he would later reveal... Like the 03 version of Mosulai? Kind of, but may- maybe... I mean, this was like before social media, so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he became, uh, I mean, the blog became prominent because the only voice, basically independent voice from the ground. Uh, and it was Ra'id Jarrar, and he's, I think, Iraqi, he's half Iraqi, half Palestinian, and he's like uh, American. Um, and um, now he's working with Dawn. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted to talk, I mean, I, I don't think he knows that I know him. From, from back then but you know he's uh, he's reached out he's, he wants to talk about the article that came out mm-hmm. and uh, because they want to do this thing about accountability so they want to actually look into the histories of all those 10 people who uh, the security guards and look into uh, you know uh, what shady activity other shady activity they might be they might be into but yeah it was kind of a blast from the past you know mm. That's cool. It's a small world and it keeps getting smaller. Imagine uh, how many weird people are going to end up meeting unexpectedly if, like in the next 10 years who we would have never thought. Yeah, but... yeah. and we are the weird people in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yesterday when I was praying at night, I, I just was overcome with this deep, deep sense of gratitude and honor that you know what an honor it is that that we get to work on this i mean we there isn't enough that we can do to show our gratitude yeah um and that reminds me of my question of um how do we actually glorify god if we're not separating it from religion from life and what does that mean in our context i kind of resolved it in one of in one of my mosques yeah you know, it's really glorifying God. You know, if you realize that every human being has a breath of the divine, um, and honoring, you know, honoring the human being, uh, not compromising on any human being's dignity, by doing that, you are glorifying the divine. At least this is this is the meaning of it for me. So, so I was going to tell you about Surat al-Ikhlas and how uh, my. Uh, my spiritual experience of it has changed mm. since I started. I I realized that there are certain surahs, the short surahs. Uh, you know, when when I started uh, contemplating the Quran, I started from the beginning. Uh, this was like several years ago, maybe a decade ago, um, and now I'm actually thinking maybe it's useful for me to start from the other end. Uh, mainly because these small surahs are going to be surahs that you you recite more more frequently, mm. so it's more it's more useful for you, more productive for you, and also each of these surahs is a complete unit on its own. But then I realized that some of the short surahs have, um, they're not as uh, they're not as meaning dense as others. So you look, you go to Surah Al-Ikhlas and it's very meaning dense to the point that every single 
uh, not only just every um, every word, but also sometimes even the, the arrangement of the words has a lot of meaning, and you have to like dig down into it. Mm. And then you have, for example, like a surah like Surah Al-Ma'un, for example, which is very, very, you know, very important and has a very, very important message, but is not as meaning dense when it comes to individual words. Yeah, this is in the classical tafsir as well. Like I think in Al-Razi's tafsir, the entire first book is an introduction, and then Surah Al-Fatiha. Yeah. And that makes sense because Surat al-Fatiha is the one that you recite in the in your prayers, so it's very significant. So I started with Surat al-Fatiha and then I went to the end. Mm. But then I started to look at Surat, uh, you know, Surat al-Ikhlas, and I started to look at it in a very different way, because uh, you know, so so when you look at Qulhu Allahu Ahad, and Ahad is a different word from Wahid, because Ahad emphasizes uniqueness, not just number. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not it's, it doesn't say God is one, rather it says God is unique and is one unit. The way that I look at it now is is to say, God. It's the same God. It's the spiritual experience that entity, that transcendental transcendental entity that you connect with. Whether you're Muslim or Christian or a shaman, when you have legitimate religious experiences, it is the same transcendental reality that you're connecting with and that's what it means to me now when i say ahad. and the next verse uh confirms that because allahu samad samad means that one thing that everybody seeks it doesn't change it doesn't change its position or its uh, disposition but everybody points towards it uh so you say ahad, the same reality allahu samad everybody is seeking the same reality and then Lam Yalad Walam Yulad becomes not really a dig at Christians, but rather the fact that this is the ultimate reality. It did not come from anywhere. It's not going to it's not going to beget anything. It's not going to become anything else. It had it didn't it didn't come from anything else and it's not going to become anything else. It's not, this is it. not derivative. It's not it's not derivative and it's not derived. It's, sorry, and it's not it, it, let, let me put it this way. It did not come from anywhere. And it's not going to become anything else. This is it. This is the final. This is the finality of it. So there's no reason whatsoever for you to seek anything else. It started. It became. It again. I mean. Uh, it became really almost meaning none. Even though, like this verse is, try, is, is, is trying to position the divine and uh, make you kind of understand more about it, which is of course what. Quran is about the last verse to me means don't you ever think that anybody will be able to understand what the divine is nobody is going to nobody's competent enough nobody is kafuk enough to completely encompass in their mind what god is so even though like basically have some humility in understanding that you're never going to understand the the, the mind that thinks that it can understand god is egotistical hmm. So yeah, now it becomes uh, different, uh, the way that I engage with it. And it's like, it's of course, it's a beautiful surah, but also a surah that uh, you can never get enough of. It's heavy. You can't really read that in less than like a minute, if you think. Yeah, it, it, it has to hit your heart. So basically, you have to contemplate it so many times until it becomes... Uh, 
it, it becomes part of you. And so when you say it during prayers, uh, it hits you the right uh, where, where it's supposed to. Even like uh, Surah Al-Fatiha, now when I think about Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman for me means God's cosmo cosmic mercy. Um, basically the fact that the divine created a universe that can be interpreted, can be, can be understood, and a universe that uh, evolves life. A, a universe which, would, which, which allowed creatures like us to exist. That's Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahim is God's particular mercy, or the mercy of guidance. So the image that comes to my head when I say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman, you look at the story of 14 billion years of, uh, of, of, uh, of the existence of the cosmos, of the universe, um, and you think how amazing it is that this, this ended up, we, it ended up here with, with human life and human life which calls out to the divine. And then you go to Rahim and says that not only did God create that, but he also gave us guidance and he gave us a way to connect with him. Uh, and that is, you know, that's, you know, not only, it's a, not only a fact of creation, but also a spiritual fact. Uh, and it's only with two words, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And then when you look at the next one, Maliki Yawm din it's also telling you, remember where this ends. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I have like, uh, 10 minutes every second day where I do nothing but contemplate in the morning. This is like after my meditation. And this is, um, I remember Hassan Farhan al-Maliki also had an interpretation here following on, which uh, was really formative for me. And it was the first time I'd seen it in that light. And he basically refutes the traditional, very tribalist interpretation of uh, al-Mahdudi alayhim are Jews in Al-Dalina or in Nasara. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because it's, it's it's easy to look at the next page of the Quran in uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, and how uh, Surah Al-Baqarah kind of breaks down um, uh, three categories of people as well, and you can you can see like it's basically a mirror image. You can see Surah Al-Fatiha and Surah Al-Baqarah, but I don't know why we made it about we made the faith so uh, quarrelsome with other groups. It's almost like we're pushing against in order to to um, we define ourselves in opposition. To define ourselves exactly. Which I don't think, uh, I think a lot of the Quran, the moment you actually start reading it as a call towards unity of faith rather than division. And uh, it, it starts to make a lot of sense spiritually. Basically, if you're not watching out for it, tribalism infects everything and faith is no exception to that. Yeah. Yeah, and I start, I even start to read, like to, to look at, uh, for example, when Ibrahim alayhi salam, um, when he, uh, when, when, when God says to him, I'm going to make you a, a leader for humanity. So I'm saying, uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam, his next, his next response or his next thought is what about my descendants? Hmm. And for me, it's like, this is. It's very interesting to compare uh, prophets, their spiritual reality and their social reality, like their spiritual being, who they are as spiritual beings and who they are as, as social beings who are part of their own social context. And you can see that Ibrahim, uh, 
is immediately thinks, oh, being a leader of humanity in this day and age means being a tribal leader. And immediately he's like, what about my descendants? Uh, and then what does what does the divine uh, response? What's what's the divine response? It's not yes. It says It's basically telling him, don't think like that. This is not the way that, that that this works. This is not. You're not becoming a tribal chief. You're not becoming the 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 the, the leader of a of a material nation. This is a spiritual nation. Or this is you, basically you're you're a leader for and the, uh, of course this is a theme that's repeated in the Quran several times about Ibrahim himself. Um, I I find kind of the same thing in Surah Al-Kawthar. Uh, also, kind of like the Prophet's spiritual being, being like God, God or the the divine, basically. Uh, helping the prophet resolve his spiritual versus his social uh, identity because the spiritual identity of the prophet is that he's a prophet his social identity is that he's a man from Quraysh who is hurt when someone says you 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 are childless Abtar. Uh, for us right now it's like it's not an insult if someone come, comes to you and is like hey you, you have no kids you have no male kids it's not exactly an insult right but for for his time and age he is a human being, right? So he has that socially constructed reality. Uh, and then God sends him this, uh, this, this verse to say, uh, basically he's telling him that the, these things don't matter. Look at, look at what, look at what else we gave you. Um, and it's, it's really, for me, it's really a sweet moment because it's kind of like, it's also educational for us because we also have a spiritual reality and a social reality. And you have to kind of, understand who you are spiritually versus who you are as a social as a, as a social as a social construct as a being as an ego and then you look at what we did with that in fiqh and how we uh firstly made it so that the khalifa can only be from Quraysh and a descendant of the prophet um then we decided uh, that uh, the prophet's descendants are sayyids and they have like a special category and they can't be given charity because that's demeaning to the blood of the prophet and all of these things yeah, fiqh is, uh, is a product of its time and a product of the, the values of its time. And uh, that's why I think we need, uh, like fiqh needs to be a, a continuing discussion. I mean, it's never something that's done. Otherwise, if uh, otherwise you're kind of keeping Islam stuck in a previous age. Anyway, I have to get to my calls. Um, and I hope that it's not one of those days when most of my days my day just goes to calls but let's see mm. good luck all right thanks for listening to support us please leave a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also find the link to our patreon in the episode description see you next time